Welcome back to Anime Cons TV. My name is Doug Wilder, and I'm reporting this week on our adventures at Otakon 2022. I apologize for a little bit of the lateness on this. I unfortunately had some technical difficulties, but things have been resolved now, so let's get right into it. Otakon 2022 was held at the Walter Washington Convention Center in Washington, D.C. once again, and they set a new record of over 40,000 members at the convention, they followed their mask and vaccination requirements that they put in place. They kept true to that, and we have a lot of things to talk about. So I'm going to bounce around a lot with some of my notes as I look at them on my computer as I'm recording this, but I'm going to try and make sure I cover everything. So first off, I mentioned the vaccination and masking requirement, and I have to say Otakon did a really good job there. First off, I came arrived about five o'clock on Thursday, the day before the con actually got started to do my uh, vaccination check as well as pick up my registration. And things went really quickly. It seemed like they had been open for a couple hours, so the line had cleared out and it kept moving. I liked that the vaccination or negative test uh, screening section was out separated from the registration thing. So before you even got into the registration room, they checked you and kept you moving. As much as I don't normally like the kind of papery wristbands that conventions sometimes give out when it's a multiple day event, I think in this scenario it worked really well because it wasn't something that you could just peel off and hand off to another person. You had to kind of keep it on you at all times. And again, this is for this circumstance, it worked well. That lane was really quick. They had plenty of people there to do, do the screenings and then right on to registration, it also kept moving. I heard, uh, I saw it on Friday and seemed to be moving pretty quickly. It did slow down a lot on Saturday. Uh, reports are that they had a lot more one day registrations show up. So just as a reminder, if you are going to a convention um, and you're going to go three days, I always encourage people to check in on Thursday if they can pick up their registration the day before the con starts so they can not spend time in line. And even if you're only going for, say, one day, like only going for the Saturday, but you're in the area or anything like that, still try and pick up your badge on Thursday. It will just make things go so much faster. And as much as it was a little painful to see that a lot more people on site just kind of standing in lines, it did appear that those lines kept moving. They had a longer line for the dealer's room during some of the busier parts on Saturday. But even when I hopped into that line, it kept moving. It didn't really stop, which I think that's kind of an important thing to think about when you see the size of a line is not just how long it is, but is it moving? And I think Otakon really did it very well there. Uh, so one of the things that I kind of criticized Ocon last year about was they had an AMV theater room for certain types of programming. It wasn't all AMVs, but it was primarily there and they had some other panels there. And I didn't really like the room. It felt really cramped and too hot and I was getting bumped a lot because I was near the edge of a row. So people kept getting going in and out and things like that. And now the best way I can say it is they moved to a bedroom where if the old room was kind of like a shape like this, they switched it to much more kind of wider room with two screens and it worked so much better. Um, it didn't feel as hot and stifling in there, which was really important, especially during the pandemic and also 
in summer. <laughs> so that was one thing I really liked about it, but also just, I don't know if they had the air conditioning running better on Saturday than Friday, but it definitely felt more comfortable in the space itself. And just there was, because there was more aisles for that shape room, there was less chance of people like interrupting to get in and out of seats and things like that. I thought the quality of the AMVs that were being shown in that room during the 2022 AMV contest were a lot better. I just saw more that engaged me. I saw an Evangelion one that I absolutely loved that makes the old TV series footage as kind of the startup of the song or the prelude of the song. And then when it switched to the main part of the song, which had a kind of a faster tempo and things like that, it switched to all new footage from the more recent movies. And I thought that was a really cool version of it. One of the other things they had in the AMV theater for programming was the 1994 Oticon AMV contest, which that's a blast from the past. And I thought that was a neat thing to see because you got a glimpse of like, okay, what anime were people really watching at that time? What, how, how were they able to edit? What music were they listening to that they wanted to set to uh, anime and stuff like that? So it was really kind of a cool comparison and a little bit of a, almost a time capsule into uh, previous parts of fandom. Also speaking of the AMV fandom, one of the other events I caught in that was the Synced Together documentary, which is a documentary all about AMV makers, kind of a little bit of the history and some of the community aspects and things like that. One of the parts that really surprised me was how international that documentary went. It didn't just cover people in North America. They got a couple people in Europe and things like that and talked about how AMVs have grown elsewhere within the world. And I also found it really neat that one of the best points this documentary makes is how much it emphasizes community for AMV creators and things like that and how it's a continuing part of anime fandom and how these people that are really involved in the AMV creation community have really built up uh, kind of a home for themselves. They found like-minded people. They found the people they care about. There are people that they may only see once or twice a year, but they're really close and things like that. And even if you're not an anime music video editor, if you're someone that goes to conventions for years and years and years, you've probably found that kind of community. Maybe you're a cosplayer that you have a group of cosplayers that you really have gotten to know. Maybe you're a panelist that you have other uh, fellow panelists that do similar things that you like or just put on uh, presentations that you really enjoy. There's a whole bunch of things like that. And I think even if you don't make AMVs, I think this is a documentary worth checking out because the community aspect of it is such a great through line of it. And it's something we can all relate to. Um, part of that was also a little bit of discussion and a kind of a pre-presentation pre of it by the, some of the filmmakers talking about the documentary and things like that. So they got a little more into it. Um, so speaking of other content that I saw, I did a lot of panels. Uh, some of the ones that stood out to me this year, I went to one called The Sound of Anime, which was just talking about not so much voice acting, although it did get into that a little bit, but also sound effects in anime and how that can really add to a scene or different parts of it or things like that, or just 
effects that can be put on voices and that they showed a clip from a cooking anime where you could hear the sounds of the cookware and how they make use different sounds for different types of cookware the different food being cooked or prepared had different sounds little things like that and how how in-depth they got in and how really added to the feel of the show uh, another one that I a panel that I checked out was called Japan's Vanishing Landmarks which I thought was going to be kind of historical landmarks but it was more they had a little bit of that but it was also a little bit of like kind of urban exploration or just looking at abandoned sites and stuff like that and one of the things I really loved about this presentation was the panelists started with kind of an overview going through some basic terms some of the things that they do talk about and just the general kind of through lines and then their slide deck went to a slide that gave a list of like sites and said okay here's a bunch of different ones which one do you guys want to hear about and ask kind of the audience for their opinions on which one so they said okay we're going to talk about Naraha uh, Wonderland they clicked on that and the slides proceeded to go to all the stuff about that site and once they got done that topic it went back to that kind of menu slide and they asked the uh, audience again what's an, what which one do you want to talk about and I thought that was a really cool way to really engage the audience kind of guide it to what they wanted to hear about and as a panelist and someone who makes slide decks, I just sat there kind of wondering, okay, how would I, how would I create a slide deck that does that? And that's a lot more, it, it, it's a great uh, setup because it doesn't, you don't think about how much work that really takes, but that's a really well-designed slide deck. And it was a really fascinating panel, a lot of neat content. And I could see, I, I found myself wanting to see more than they had time to discuss. Uh, one other event that I went to that was kind of a mixed, kind of an Otakon event, kind of a private event, um, it was kind of, I guess you could call it an affiliate within, was within the, the, uh, Marriott Marquis Hotel, which is kind of the host hotel connected to Oda, uh, the, uh, Walter Washington Convention Center. There was a sake tasting panel. It was a very small kind of workshop style room and they had to charge an extra fee for it um the, these the organizers and it sold out in like 15 minutes of it going live online and that was with two session two hour long sessions which is incredible but the person running it the facilitators really really knew their audience they knew how to joke with them have a little fun but also was like okay these are anime fans they're gonna know some basic japanese culture stuff if they're into this stuff enough that they want to go to a sake tasting thing and but it wasn't just like oh here's this kind of sake here's this kind of sake they got into some really neat details like the different kinds of drinkware and what how you serve it differently in different drinkware they talked about the serving ware uh so you know the bottles that you may pour it out of and things like that and even just etiquette things like the proper way to do kind of the kanpai uh japanese toast uh, things like how culturally you're not supposed to pour your own drink. You should always be having someone should be pouring for you or you should be pouring for them and stuff like that. The reason they had an extra cost for that was part of it was the cost of materials, you know, had to get the sake there. But they also had to pay the hotel for like a bartender and corkage fees for that and just renting that room 
for a small chunk of time. So they turns out that uh, DC Saki, the shop that was running, didn't took a very, very, very small loss, even with the fee, to promote to to get this event. But they could make it up very easily because they had a booth in the dealer's room, and while they weren't selling alcohol on site, you could look at the what they had to offer purchase it from them and then go like around the block to a near to their nearby store and pick up what you bought so by having a really well done panel they could drive people to their booth and then actually make a purchase and so they really wouldn't actually lose any money in the long run and it was really well done i i thought this event was so good well facilitated well run and they kept it going and I would love to see them return and maybe continue to grow it as much as possible. I mean, not obviously you can't have a gigantic event like this, but it was really, really well done. And I mentioned that it was a kind of a workshop setup. So one of the other things that I saw Otakon doing as programming this year was they had, in addition to the standard workshop panels, kind of the come learn how to make this plushie, learn how to do this thing. They also had one room that was dedicated to being a maker space. So it was much more kind of self-serve, bring a thing you're working on here to this space and you can work on it. We have little kind of self-guided crafts that you can make, you know, not like the uh, Otachan, the children's programming and not like a formal workshop. This is just kind of drop in when you want. And it was a neat little, they had, you know, tools and some materials that you could work with. But they also had, and this was something I really loved, they had a couple of different sessions of kind of what they called like uh, an expert. So they had various ones. And one I caught, made a point to kind of poke my head in, was they had, you know, me to talk with a Gundam model building expert. So if you're a fan of giant robot uh, model kits, you could come in at this one of these chunks of time, sit at a round table with other people that were working on things with your model kit and talk to people that really know how to make models really well, have had a lot of experience and they can just kind of, maybe you have a little thing that you're just trying to figure out how to do or maybe you're just, you've bought your, gone to the dealer's room, bought your first model kit and don't know where to start, what tools to get or anything like that. And this person could kind of engage you a little more one-on-one or you could just kind of sit in the space and talk to other people at the table and collaborate and stuff like that and I thought this was a really great way to have kind of build a community and talk with people and get get people really interested in other things about the hobby that they might not know I think just about everyone I saw that was the experts at this session were staff members from Otakon and I think that's a good idea. But I would also kind of encourage Otakon that the one way to make this even better is maybe reach out to people in the community that are known as experts or very well versed in it to say, hey, you've got, you are really good at this sort of skill. Would you be willing to come in for an hour on each day of the convention or maybe one hour one day and be available as an expert in this in the makerspace. And I think that would be a great way to connect more people and stuff like that. I know plenty of Gundam model builders that are really good at teaching other people some of the skills. 
and things like that. And just being a, being a knowledge base and just instead of having kind of a guided lecture like a workshop, which I think still has its place, this is a much more open area for someone to just kind of ask any question that they have. Of course, I went to the Discotech Media uh, panel, which is one of the few industry panels I caught in full. It was really <laughs> their usual fun time. They're usually squeezing as much as they can to their hour-long block. I think even if they had 90 minutes, they'd still be squeezing every minute they could to get as much content. And it still remains one of the most fun panels I go to for industry news. I, one of the things I always say that I really like about it is it's not just a rah-rah, here's what we got. And while it's always fun to see the announcements that they do have and some of the reactions that they get, I like that they also talk about some of the technical stuff or the journey it took to find this item or get it licensed or get the best version of it possible. Just little things like that. And I was really excited. And of course, this year's big announcement was that they are licensing and going to be doing a home video release of the Yorotei Yatsura TV series, the original. All, I think it's 194 episodes, if I'm remembering the number right off the top of my head. And that was the big news. And of course, they wait for the very last minute to like, yo, by the way, we're doing this. <laughs> and just got the room really excited. I did see one person who was really excited, kind of like screaming. They were so excited and pulling point off their mask and it was a little, more than a little uh, frustrating because so many people had been so good about masking during the convention and in the convention center that this one person really was kind of an embarrassment and it's unfortunate that this one person didn't, didn't think it, but I think a lot of people right afterwards kind of said, hey, do, do you, you gotta put, keep your mask on. I know you're excited, but this isn't appropriate. And I think this is something that the environment that Otakon really created was kind of a, a little bit of police ourselves, but also just everybody knew what the rules were for masking. And I think part of that comes from uh, the convention center staff, Otakon's own staff, really adhering to mask policies and stuff like that. And one of the things we've seen time and time again as people have kind of dealt with the pandemic and masking is if you have this policy and you, you're the, can, the staff of both the facility and the event are demonstrating that good behavior, you're going to get your attendees to, to do it as well. And so I think that's something that worked really, really well. But moving on to other fun stuff, I went to the video game room, which just some was typical. I had some fun playing the latest uh, Gundam Versus game. I, one thing that stood out to me there was how courteous everyone was being there. Um, you saw a lot of people making sure that once their turn, you know, once they played around, they let someone else hop in, things like that. It's so it's you know a Versus game, so it's two uh, two teams of two uh, going against each other, and you saw strangers pairing up, being teammates. Uh, helping out each other. You saw a lot of like, okay, this team won, but you know, giving kind of fist bumps to each other, like, hey, good game and stuff like that. It was just a neat little thing to see. Uh, I don't know how much it was in, uh, for other games, but that, in that moment, it was really fun. The one thing that was a little weird of the video game room is it's in one of the larger exhibit halls on the top floor 
of the uh, convention center. Um, and on set, on Friday and Sunday, they had kind of the air wall in the middle of it um, closed. So it just kind of shrank the room by half. On Saturday, they opened that air wall, but the only thing in that other half wasn't like more video games or more tabletop games or stuff. It was just tables for people to sit at. I think there was a little bit of like a small, small uh, like a place to get like snack bar on the other side of that long haul after all those tables, but it just seemed kind of like a waste of space. I understand there was a lot of people on site and things like that and but it was kind of a weird place to kind of make a break area so i think either expand the gaming room or something just so you have a little more content but it was just it was a very unusual thing but on to things in other exhibit halls of course i went to the artist alley this year and i enjoyed browsing more than anything this time there was a lot of good quality art and products and stuff like that the one thing I'll say is it was good quality, just no, nothing that was of interest to me, like fandoms I'm not a part of. And that's that's not a bad thing. I'm, they're not always going to make everything I like, but the fact that the quality was good was nice to see. Um, my one kind of, I guess, complaint was I usually get a commission or two at Artist Alley. I kind of collect them of certain things. And... I only saw like maybe two people with signs saying they were accepting commissions and their prices um, very visible. And especially when a con gets busier, if you're an artist and you're, you are accepting commissions, please have very clear signage somewhere on your booth. Like I would say eye level, maybe even a little higher so someone walking by can tell right away because maybe some of these artists were taking commissions, but it wasn't clear. And I, as again, as someone who likes to get that, it would have been nice to know that maybe there's a couple people out there that would have done it. But again, the overall quality of the art and the products there I thought was very, very good. And it's becoming a really neat artist alley because there are some unusual things there as well as kind of, for lack of a better word, typical artists, there's some other people doing different things that are coming out. The other exhibit hall thing that I, of course, went to was the dealer's room. And it was pretty standard. I heard a couple of people saying, complaining that they thought the room felt very empty. And part of that was they were continuing to spread the kind of the aisles of the dealer's room out more. So it looked a little bit more empty. <laughs> But, and some people said they didn't like that. It felt like a chore to have to traverse the uh, the entire area of it. And again, it felt empty, which personally, I say keep doing that. I think making it so people can move in the doors room, which is always one of the higher traffic areas, especially if you have a longer line, just having more room to brute, uh, move around. And so you're not bumping into each other at, at every turn is a very good thing. So I hope they keep those wider aisles. Unfortunately, some of the dealers who had set up their booths and stuff had done such in a way that they maybe made a very narrow aisle that could only fit like one or two people inside their booth in the area, they said. So it kind of negated that. And there, that was a little frustrating because sometimes I would see a booth that maybe I was like, oh, that looks fun. Maybe I'll go check it out there. And then I'd get closer and see that's like five people 
in a very small square just trying to browse and I was just kind of like you know what I don't I don't need to go through this one I I need to save my money and it was just kind of it almost scared I won't say scared me away but just turned me off and said okay maybe I'll come back later and then I never did because it was always busy some of the other things I saw um, as some of you, most people know I've gotten really back into Gundam modeling the past like five years or so so I did see more vendors selling like Gundam or just giant robot model kits or various model kits of anything but it was very interesting to see you could kind of tell I'd say by halfway through Saturday which booths were charging good prices for uh, model kits and which weren't because the ones that were selling reasonable prices were starting to clear out of their stock pretty quickly. <laughs> Problems worth having. But then you saw the people that were charging too much for some of their model kits were stuck with a lot more stock. And I think that says a lot right there of why you shouldn't price gouge or overcharge for some of the things you're selling. I saw one of the booths, I can't remember their name, and I don't think their name is worth remembering, was where they were selling model kits that I know I've seen at some places for $20, maybe 25 if it's a little bit of a markup or, you know, just a harder to find kit. But this, I would say a $25 kit, they were had price tags of 25 or no, I'm sorry, it was $25 kit. They were charging for $45, maybe $50. So almost double the price for a low-end small model kit, you know, one box, very small box like that. And even the large and the larger kits, the markup was even more extreme. And it just it just made me not even want to try and see if they had anything that I might have been interested in, because if they were charging that much for a low-end kit or a very and a very common one at that. If I have something much more rare that I'm looking for, I'm not even gonna try and think about what they're gonna charge for it. So I just didn't even bother. So I understand profit margin on uh, profit margin on model kits is very slim, but basically doubling the market price is not a good thing and. I think if that's something that you're interested in, definitely kind of do your research before you go to a convention. If you're, say, a model kit builder, maybe do some research and say, okay, what are these kits actually going for at other places? And make, make maybe have a shopping list with kind of prices so you know. And if it is one that's like, okay, it's a little more rare, maybe spending, you know, $10 more on a $20 kit because it's hard to find, sure. But when it's almost double for a kit that you can get online just about anywhere, you don't do that. And that's really all I've got to say about Otakon this year. I had another great time. There's a reason why I've been going since 2001. My convention badge from that year is now old enough to go to a sake tasting event with me. Uh, it was just, it, it was a very solid year. I won't say there was anything super special that stood out to me, but a solid year is nothing to be ashamed about. I think Otakon is continuing to do well. I think they're finding a good home in the Walter Washington Convention Center. 
I hope they continue to do things like what they did with the AMV theater and say, is this the best room for this programming? And maybe change it up a little bit. Some of the panel rooms seemed a little smaller when they could have gone to bigger rooms, things like that. Maybe instead of uh, one less uh, video screening room, you make another panel room because not as many people really show up to conventions to watch the uh, stuff that's widely available on home video or streaming services. But again, there's, there's things to do. I think just finding more ways to get seated programming is going to be good and keep up with good ideas like the makerspace. I know I brought it up earlier, but that was one of my favorite things to watch. And even though I didn't participate, I think it's at the core of what can anime convention should be doing, which is building the community. So if you went to Otakon 2022, or if you want to, maybe you've gone to Otakon in the past, maybe you're planning to go to Otakon in 2023, or maybe you're just going to another convention and just, uh, or want to tell us how it went, or have questions about conventions, don't forget to reach out to us at AnimeCons TV. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, we're all over the place. If you want to email, uh, contact me personally, I'm on Twitter. I'm at Nigoki. And you can always just send us an email. We're at podcast at animecons.tv. And I'm Doug Wilder, and I will talk to you guys again real soon.